Good morning. Welcome to worship this morning. We're so glad that you have joined us here at Central Baptist Church for worship. Uh, you'll find in the pews beside you friendship pads, and we'd invite you uh, to take those friendship pads to fill that out with any information that you'd like to uh, provide, and then pass it down the row uh, so that our neighbors can fill that out too. That's a way for us to get to know each other a little better uh, this Pentecost Sunday. We're so glad that you have joined us for worship. There's a lot of things going on uh, at Central, and we will... Uh, talk to you a little more about all those things at the end of the service, um, but just do know that at the end of our service today in the foyer, we will also uh, be uh, honoring Nancy Kirk. I don't see Nancy. There's Nancy. Hey, Nancy. We'll also be, be honoring her as, uh, as she uh, is, is getting ready to move. We're so uh, gonna miss you, but we want to take this time uh, to say, you know, thank you for all that you are to us. And so we'll have a few moments for that for reception uh, outside uh, in the foyer uh, after the service today. Uh, we're excited this morning to welcome the Reverend Dr. Laura Levins, uh, professor at BSK, member here at Central, and also has directed our children's program uh, for the past year. We're appreciative to all the work that she has done and excited about uh, her sharing with us this morning. As you'll see, uh, the timeline that she will talk about later with, uh, with our children and then weave that into uh, the sermon for, for all of us later um, as we worship this morning. On Friday, I found myself in a hospital waiting room, uh, nothing serious. I was, I was sitting there and somebody uh, walked in, somebody who worked there and uh, was getting coffee um, and, uh, and I heard this person start to hum. A tune that I couldn't really make out, sounded kind of like a hymn maybe, I couldn't really understand the words and you would think, you know, being a minister at a church, I would be grateful for this addition to my uh, afternoon waiting room experience. And I wasn't. Um, I thought, that's a little unprofessional and you probably shouldn't be humming when you work here. And uh, <laughs> that's how petty I was feeling that afternoon. Um, and so, so, uh, so I, was, I was sitting there kind of like, oh my gosh, when are you going to stop? And um, eventually she got her coffee and left and did stop the humming. And I was left with the sound of afternoon daytime TV talk shows, which was so much worse. Um, a guy who was yelling every word for absolutely no reason. And then I realized and I longed for the beautiful song that she had been humming, that I had been too, I don't know, too difficult to see and to hear the beauty in at that time. So this morning as we celebrate Pentecost together, we may hear sounds of God we may recognize the, the sounds of God. They may sound foreign to our ears at times. Um, but hopefully, if we sit long enough, we can see and find the beauty in it and maybe see God in those unexpected places and be blessed uh, by those things that we do not yet understand. Let's worship together.
stand as you are able and join me in the call to worship. God, your hands have made a multitude of wonders. Deep green forests where insects creep and birds weave songs. Surging seas where leviathans skipped and sunfish still meander. Yawning skies where sunsets paint their hopes for the new day. You open your hands, there is more than enough. You rush like the wind, renewing the earth. You breathe your life into every living thing. Praise you, source of life. Join me in prayer. When was the last time that we heard the wind of your spirit roar through this place? When was the last time that your fire lit up this room? When was the last time we took you at your word and met together in expectation of your spirit filling this place and these lives with your glory and power? Lord, you challenge us with Pentecost do we believe that this is a once in eternity experience, never to be repeated? That the Holy Spirit was poured out on your followers for a single purpose and ended the Spirit's work at that instant? If so, then maybe that's why the church seems so powerless in this age, helpless when faced with the needs, both spiritual and physical, that we see in the world. As we meet together and celebrate once again the memory of that first Pentecost, May it be for us as it was then, a moment of empowerment and awareness of your glory in this dark world, a life-changing experience. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
I'm going to try to catch you before you sit down and invite, oh, I missed some of you, some of you, I'll invite you to remain standing or stand back up if you wish. You know, we are, uh, this is a, a Baptist congregation, so you are welcome to dissent should you so choose. And uh, we're going to, we're going to sing, uh, sing a, the, our Easter tide response as we uh, continue to celebrate walking in the light uh, that God has brought to us. So I'll sing a line and invite you to repeat a little bit and we'll figure this out together because it's been a week since we've sung it. So here we go. We will walk in the light, in the light. We will walk in the light of God. We something new today. We're going to have a children's time uh, in worship. Yes, it is new. Thank you. Um, the alarms are ringing outside. <laughs> I thought it was very, very perfect. Um, if you are a child and, or spirit of a child and would like to come up here and work with me, we're going to work with this timeline together and we're going to work to tell everyone in the room about this story. You want to come, Felix? Okay, Felix is going to come. Catherine, you want to come? You've seen this story. Any of our visitors want to come and learn it for the first time? It's okay. You don't have to know it already. This is new to everyone, except for maybe Catherine and myself. We've got it. Okay, this, this is new to you? No? Okay, it's not new to Felix either. So, good. I've got some teachers up here to help me out. So this right here is from our children's Sunday schools. And in this classroom, we hang this up. And this is a lesson about the history of the kingdom of God. Did you know that you could put the kingdom of God on a timeline? Now you can. <laughs> um, so we're going to work through this and talk about it together. And I want to share with you all and help you all learn some more about what we are learning about and pondering in the children's department. And you, as adults, you may find something that you learn for the first time as well. Don't count yourself out. This could be grand. Okay, 
So in at the beginning, right, Catherine, this is creation. Can you point to creation so everyone can see? There it is. So the earth in which we live began to exist a very, very, very long time ago. Do you know how many years ago it began to exist? Um, 25,000? More than that. It was so many years ago, a million thousand more than that. It was so many years ago that we have not been able to count all the years. More than that, maybe. In the beginning, everything was mixed together. And so, do you remember, we do this work with a ribbon that we stretch out all along the hallway. You might have had to walk across it to get to worship. Huh? No, we're not going to get that out right now. But remember in that, there were little lines on all the ribbons, and each line was a thousand years. So in this one, each line, this is a shorter ribbon, so each line is 10,000 years. Little itty-bitty rib on a ribbon. So small, you can't see it from where you are. So many years. And this was all the time that was needed to create all the planets and the space. It's crazy. You should listen to some physicists. They're like astrophysicists. Like the planets were banging together. This asteroid hit Earth. And then the moon shot out. That's how we have a moon that orbits us, because it just cratered off the Earth. All of this was happening at the beginning. And everything was mixed together and muddled. But later, things separated, and dry land appeared. And so little by little, things found their place on the earth. But the earth was still empty. It took more years, thousands and thousands, millennia. Do you know what that word is? Um, there was oceans in the beginning, but there were nothing in the oceans. Not until one moment where the, the amoeba, that's right, the very first single-celled organism, appeared on the earth. That was the beginning of life. It was such an important moment that we change color of the ribbon. We go from the dark of murky to the light tan because earth is here. And this is this organism. Yeah, we're not there yet. Time has not passed. This is important. It shows this important moment and tiny little organisms appear. And then we have tons and tons of time. Look how much time we have to go. So, like, we're still moving. Have you ever moved this much in a children's sermon? I don't think so. Um, and then we finally get vegetation. This is plant life. This is maybe some grass, then some larger plants like trees. And it actually took millions and millions more years before there were even flowers. Flowers took a long time to appear on the earth. And you remember this? We'd already, so we just spoke in our um, reading together. When we t came together and read together, we talked about the goodness of these parts of creation. We talked about so many good things that God created. But you know what? God was not done with the plants, was God? And so there's more and more. Look at all these little lines. And then we get to animal life. So there are animals. First, probably in the sea. That's where the single-celled organisms were, so probably first had, this is a fish, it represents sea animals. But fish might, probably wasn't the first sea creature. Then we have land. There might have been jellyfish first. It is quite possible. And other stuff made out of jelly, yes. And stuff without bones. Yeah, I bet if we go and learn 
that bones took a long time to form, right? Thousands and thousands of years. So we had things without bones first. Then we have creatures on land. This is a, what the horse is here for, although I'm sure that horses were not the first land creatures. Do you think, Catherine? No. Worms, worms were probably first. We're early, yeah, I'd say so. And then we also have birds that are the animals that were in the air, in the air. And so we have all these things and then even more millennia appeared and then all of a sudden we get over here and this is when humans were created. Look how much time it took before humans were created. My goodness, and humans were special Humans were intelligent, they had smarts, and also humans could work with their hands. They could make things and create things. Maybe like God was making things? Is that part of how we look like God? Because we can make and create things? And so look, this point in time, the Bible tells us about this. So this is from the Bible. It says, God said, let us make man in our image, or humans, in our image and likeness. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. And so in the church, at this point in time, you ever notice, here, Felix, come on out. You can't see the rest of the story. There's nothing back there. Um, you know how we like to get together and eat all the time? We always eating, right? We get together, we like a meal, we like to get together. And so we talk in this church a lot about eating and feasting and having great banquets together. Well, look at this. Sometimes we talk about all of this creation as like God's preparation of a banquet. God made all of these things before humans even got here to prepare for us so that we could survive in the world. Hey, Felix, do you think that we could survive on the earth if there were no plants? No, yeah, no, we definitely need plants to survive. Even maybe down to that single-celled organism. Could we survive on this earth if there were no single-celled organisms first? No. no. Yes, so all of this, it's good. God loves all of this creation. And it was also made for us as humans. Now, we get to another point. What is this? Cross. It's a cross. And who do, we, who do we connect to with the cross? What's the cross God. for? God? Yeah. God and Jesus, that's right. So one day in Bethlehem, Jesus Christ was born, and he was true God and true man. He died, and he was risen, and he is risen. And so we call this moment in the kingdom redemption, redemption. And remember this moment in, on the Fatusha, it gets its own little ribbon that is yellow. Hey, Felix, you can learn how that works later. Um, so... We read in the Bible, it says, can you look at this? It says, in the city of David, a savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord. And later we read, he has died, but he is risen. And so what is this moment called? Catherine, do you remember? It's yellow. I know it's been a while. How about you, Felix? Do you remember? Do you remember what it is called? It is called redemption. Oh, yeah. This is an important moment, right? It's so important. The colors change again, and they turn to white, and this is redemption. 
This is the moment where Jesus comes to redeem us all and to redeem the earth. And so for the rest of this, what do you think is happening? Do you remember what this is? Huh? The time is going on, and what is happening during this time? The time is changing. It's actually, yeah, creation's way over there. This is redemption time. It's redemption time. And so we are right here in the middle of this. These lines, they don't work the same way as the other lines. We're not really sure how long this time is going to last. And we're not really sure. Like, we're like way over here maybe. Or we're way down here. Who knows? But this is the time of redemption. Where Jesus is spreading redemption all across the earth. And is working in all of our lives to redeem us and to redeem the world around us. And so we, we have a blank page. That's like our life is a blank page. That God helps us write and that we write with our choices and our decisions. And you know, all of you out there, you all have a blank page. Although some of you, um, well, you're like me, you've lived some years and years and years. And so your page may not look very blank anymore, but you can look back over your life and remember all the times that God was there with you, helping you write the blank, the page that is your future. And of course, that's not the end of the story either, is it? Because the future continues to unroll until we get to this point. This, do you remember what this one is, Catherine? It starts with a P. Peregrine? Nope, not about falcons. This is parousia. Parousia, the last day when Jesus Christ returns and God will be all in all. In fact, that's what it says in the Bible. It says in 1 Corinthians, God will be all in all. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Death will be conquered forever. That's right, death will be banished. There will be no more sadness, and God's kingdom will have no end. It will be there for forever. And so this is how the history comes to a conclusion. Here's another thing. This is from Revelation. It says, now salvation and power have come to the kingdom of God and the authority of his anointed one. Well, this is the moment where we talk about maybe the end of the world. So it might be with the sun going white, or it might be with Jesus coming back before the sun goes white, but this will be the end of time. And so all of this, everyone, is the history of the kingdom of God. It is very vast, but it is also unified. And so the history, it begins down there with creation. It culminates. Do you know what that word is, culminate? The highest point, the biggest point, right? In where, Catherine? On the yellow. Redemption. Redemption. And then it is complete at parousia. This is the history of God, and this is what is told to us in the Bible. All right, thank you. You can go down to your seats now.
Let's pray together, please. Dear God, maybe our prayer shouldn't be surround us, but help us to be aware that you're already surrounding us, that you're in our days and our nights, our comings and our goings, in the times when we feel so connected and the times we feel so alone. You are there. We don't have to look hard because you're in our lives, you're in our heart, and yet sometimes we don't see. I pray, God, this morning, this day of Pentecost, you will open our eyes again that we can see and be aware of your presence so that we encounter others. They can see the light of Christ in our eyes, in our actions, in our giving of gifts, our doing of deeds, or even in our rest and repose that you are surrounding us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. A reading from the Christian Witness, the book of the Acts of the Apostles, as printed in your bulletin. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, 
and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and the tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each of them heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and other parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs in our own language as we hear them speaking about God's deeds of powers. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and said, and addressed them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For the word of God that works its way into us, thanks be to God. Should have mentioned earlier that uh, you'll see Anna Campbell also up here on stage. Hang on, um, who's uh, who's painting this morning, uh, inspired by the Spirit of God as well as uh, as she creates, as we too are invited uh, to create, as we remember that Scripture of the coming of the Holy Spirit long ago. We then reflect too on what that means for us today. Tight. 
not a ghost of a chance to shimmer in this growing night. Fire, fire, a pirouette and fire, stretching out her arms of light. Your tongue is loosed to speak the truth in the mystery of your mother. shadows window shuttered to the throngs waiting on some lovely air to fill your lungs with freedom songs wind wind rushing swirling wind Driving shame's dark cloud away. Ears now free to hear love sing in the mystery of your mother shadows old story the smile of God our common theme shining like suns on every street love love all unfolding love rending fear from top clear Just a taste of love's embrace in the mystery of your mother, our mother Welcome back to the sermon. This is actually sermon part two, children's moment with sermon part one. We called that traversing time. And this time, we're going to traverse some space. Get ready. Jane, are you ready? All right, I'm ready. 
Okay, so in the children's moment, we learned about the timeline of God's work, or what is called the history of the kingdom of God. And so this timeline brings up a lot of wonder and amazement when we do it in the classroom, as children orient to themselves to it. Kind of like you saw here this morning, which animals, what animals, what's happening? What do you think this means? How does it go? And I'm sure that as adults, you had several questions of your own. Maybe some were of concern, but hopefully some others were of wonder and amazement as well. And I would love to hear them. So if you have the questions, please feel free to drop, drop, jot them down on any scrap of paper and just shove them at me after the service. Like, let's go, it'll be fun. Some of my questions are, have you ever wondered how far and wide and deep the kingdom of God stretches? How does God help us write on our blank page? Why does God invite us to this work? And to where does God call? And so Pentecost Sunday, it is a special day to think about the vastness and unity of God's work of redemption. We are in redemption time. We are in redemption space. Pentecost is indeed a celebration of the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus promised that advocate, another presence, the Spirit's entrance into the community and the lives of the apostles after the ascension. And here it is, promise kept. And in our passage from today in Acts, we hear not just that, of course, yes, the Spirit is a promise made by Jesus, it is also a gift of the Spirit that is a fulfillment of the Old Testament promise in the book of Joel. Joel's prophecy is connected to the last day, to parousia. The Holy Spirit then is a sign and a first taste of parousia as well as a mark of redemption. And Pentecost then is, there, is about the redemption of Jesus the gift of the Spirit, the expanding redemption work, and the return of Christ all in one. In this story, Luke, the author, is painting us a theological portrait of the timeline from Christ's death and resurrection to the last day. And so today, I'm going to do a new thing. Well, at least it is new to me. I want to focus not on the tongues of fire, nor the wind, nor even the mysterious speech of the disciples that was once at once Galilean and also all the other languages combined. I want to focus instead on the people who were there to hear these words. Do you wonder, was the spirit only in the wind and fire? Was the spirit only with the disciples who had been dutifully praising and praying for the power from on high? Might the Spirit have also come to the hearers from Parthia, from Mesopotamia, from Cyrene and Egypt? Did the Spirit open the ears of the Arabs and the Asians? What do all these people in the story have to do with Joel's prophecy and the disciples' mission? Why are they named so distinctly so that we Americans must hem and haw and struggle to pronounce these distant peoples of the past. Why are they in our scripture? And so these questions push me to think not just about how God works through time, but also how God works redemption through space, at least geographical space. At the, and those thought, I mean, really, my, my son and I, we will argue 
over outer space, over lunch, so it's okay. And those thoughts, I believe, are best thought with the help of maps. And so I will do another new thing, at least for myself, and preach with maps. This could get very interesting. I got one, I got one applause from the back, so here's a map. Maps. So above on the screen is a map of the world. So whether on a globe or in an atlas or on a textbook or on Google Maps, this is the general layout of all the maps offered for daily use. All the maps of the United States that you have, or if you have a Bible with maps, if you want to start flipping to see if our pew Bibles have maps, they are all scaled to size and oriented in this direction. And by orientation, I mean the maps are drawn and labeled so that north is up, east is right, stage right, west is left, and south is down. This orientation of north up and south down is incredibly important to how people organize their values and their daily lives, especially to someone like me who constantly gets my east and my west and my left and my right <laughs> confused. Um, you know, to know this map brings stability and order, a solid ground for making decisions, like whether to turn left or right, where to go on vacation, and even who we think is most worth our time. But did you know that this orientation of north up and south down is completely arbitrary? It doesn't really matter. And for centuries, North wasn't up on any of the maps. East was. That's where the sun comes from. So you put that at the top, because the sun is most important. And so really, a proper map could look something more like this. There we go. Take a look at that. So above me on the screen is a map of the world where north is down and south is up. Some of you might have seen this kind of map on the west wing where two of President Bartlett's staff sat and stared at this map for half of an episode, their minds completely blown. It can be quite disconcerting with the world turned upside down in this way. Antarctica now refuses to be ignored. It's the seventh continent looks like it's draped over the earth like an umbrella or a tarantula if you want it to be more sinister. Um, and Africa is now on center stage. It's right in the middle. Did you ever notice that Africa was right in the middle before? Looking at a map like this, where south is up, it actually does things to your brain. Now, I'm not going to promise that it'll change all your neurons, um, and those, but it has become very popular in forward-thinking businesses to hang a south is up map because of the effect this map has on waking up outside of the box thinking. With hardwired orientation broken, your mind is free to wonder and to wander into new connections, new ideas, and the possibility of trying new things. I would hope that the South is Up map would also become popular in our churches and in our schools. This broken orientation, as I said, frees us all for new ideas, whether we're in business or not. And it also frees us from ingrained assumptions and values. You know, psychologists have demonstrated that people notice first 
and assign an implicit higher value, a bias, to the geography on top of the map and a lesser value to the bottom. You know, we read books, maps, and worthiness from top to bottom. It's hard, hardwired in the system. And so turning the map upside down literally changes your perception about which continent and which peoples are highly valued. Okay. Now, North is Up is not the only geographical orientation ingrained in us, at least as American Christians. You know, there are other maps, like this one, provided in study Bibles and hung on Sunday school walls that also orient and give us values to the Christian story. Here is one very popular map. Again, I'm pretty sure that this is in a Bible you have had at one point in time in your life. Um, if not, I stand amazed um, because it's everywhere. It's so everywhere that as a seminary professor, I have made students draw me this map freehand and turn it in as a grade. It's like that important to being a minister that you draw this map. <laughs> this map, like I said, is quite familiar to me. But here lately, I have become dissatisfied with this map. I have several reasons. One, if you notice and look closely, there is no attempt to show the length of time these journeys of Paul took. So for example, Paul stayed in Corinth and Ephesus for one to two years apiece. This map like, makes it look like a short-term mission trip, like he took a three-week vacation to wander around Greece seeing the islands and sharing about Jesus. That is not what Paul did. Second, this map is focused on just one person, St. Paul. But you know what? He was never alone for any of these trips. Now again, this is an important, I'm not saying he didn't go there, he did. We have this recorded, two-thirds of Acts are about these trips. And also, two-thirds of Acts records all the other people traveling with Paul wherever he went. In fact, Luke wrote part of Acts in the we, first person we, not because of the royal we of Paul, but because he might have actually been traveling with Paul as his companion. And sometimes people splinter off from Paul's group. Some people stay behind, take care of a city while Paul journeys onward. But there are no arrows of the other people going in all of their directions. They're missing from our orientation. But my biggest disgruntlement is that the map implies that where Paul went, especially toward Greece and Rome, was the most important direction for the spread of Christianity. This map of Paul's journeys, while historically accurate in the sense that Paul did go to those places and did journey to those people, it is a distorted display of time spent, persons involved, and geographical values. And here's how it plays out. So this is the next map. Right here, we get maps like this. This is a common early Christian spread, early spread of Christianity map along the Roman Empire. This is standard. I've known it for a long time. The problem is it is wrong. This map is wrong. Now granted, the places where Christians are, that's right. But it gives a specific geographical orientation that Christianity spread from Jerusalem to Turkey, to Greece, to Rome, and then into Europe, and then of course, out into the Americas, and then over to Africa and Asia. 
like the Holy Spirit fountain out of London in the early 1700s. But this is not the whole geographical story. And so I take issue specifically with the gray areas. They make it look like Christianity isn't there. But it is. Just because those places weren't Roman, that they were outside the empire, and that Paul didn't visit them, doesn't mean that Christianity never took root. So let's go back. We're back at Pentecost. Here we are, from Elam to Italy, all the peoples in between. These maps have recently blown my Christian geographical brain. I'm still trying to figure them out. I could stare at these maps all day because they challenge all of our implicit and explicit values of north being up and from being from Paul's lineage. On the screen is a map of regions where Jews lived outside of Jerusalem. And even if you might not be able to read the words, if you can just make out where it's red, those are places where Pentecost peoples came from for the Pentecost day. So for example, if you ever wonder where Elam is, it is way, way, way east, on the other side of Mesopotamia, past Babylon, and well into the ancient Persian Empire and the modern-day Middle East. Some places where Paul traveled are on this map, like Phrygia and Pamphylia, again, I struggle, in southern Turkey, but Paul never went to Cappadocia and Pontus in the northeast regions of what we know today as Turkey. And you know what? Cappadocia is really important to you and to me. It's an important spot. The Cappadocians were the ones that worked out the doctrine of the Trinity for us. Without them, who knows how we'd come to understanding of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But notice that this map is not Paul's map turned upside down, but instead it shifts drastically to the east so that we can see Cappadocia and Mesopotamia, Parthia and Media, as well as Egypt and Libya in the, in the northern African regions. And so Pentecost signals a new thing. It is the coming of the spirit and power upon people. At Pentecost, people coming to Jerusalem from all directions heard about the mighty works of God, and all heard Peter speak about the signs of parousia, the gifts of the spirit, the young and old, the men and women, the slave and free who would prophesy and dream dreams. Jerusalem is still important, but the spirit has broken the boundaries of Israel and empire to stretch God's mighty works east and west, north and south. This means all the old orientations for religion, the well-known ways, the proper manner of things are turned upside down. Tradition is to be respected, and it, but it is contingent. It is malleable. It can be argued with and created anew. Worship and prayer can change, just like they changed mid-morning for the disciples in a rushing wind and flame. Now, let's move on to the next map, if I could get... Oh. oh, here we go. So here is another map that helps with our reorientation to add alongside to the journeys of Paul. You know, there are many traditions of the other apostles and the disciples, but these aren't recorded in our scriptures in our New Testament. 
So Thomas, remember Doubting Thomas from some of your Bible studies? The story goes he traveled the farthest east all, to way, all the way to India. There are Christians in southern India who trace their roots back to his ministry. James and Peter went west to Rome and Spain. Mark, the gospel writer, went south to Egypt, and Andrew and Bartholomew went north to distant parts of Asia. In fact, by 100 years CE, that means 70 years after Christ's resurrection, scholars believe that Christianity had reached the far western coast of Africa, where Morocco is. By 400 CE, the Arabian Peninsula, um, where Mesopotamia and Saudi Arabia are today, had more percentage of Christians in its population than anywhere in Europe north of Italy. There was a denser population of Christians in Arabia, the Arabs, than in Germany. Now, so these map, this map and these numbers push for another reorientation, that Europe was not the sole teapot from which Christianity poured out to the rest of the world. The message of God's mighty works went in all sorts of directions after Pentecost, like Pentecost, and it birthed all sorts of interesting worship and religious traditions. It changed among cultures and remade some cultural elements. The story of redemption spread to the regions of the peoples who heard it first at Pentecost and to other areas too. Now this geographic majesty, the expansive and creative, twisty-turvy geographical spread throughout the world, this is also a theological portrait of how the Holy Spirit goes before us in mission. In missiology, which is my department, we name this the Missio Dei. It is Latin, and it is fancy. We keep it fancy. It simply means the mission of God, but we put it in Latin to remind ourselves that the mission belongs to God. It is God's, so much so that God is mission. God's character is mission. God in love created the world and always meant to care for the whole world and redeem it and bring all to fulfillment. And Christ will be all and in all until the end of the age. The Missio Dei, God is mission, is the way to remember that the Holy Spirit must be in front, writing our blank pages any time we stand and serve as a witness to the gospel, whether we speak or not. We do not bring the good news ourselves of our own accord. Rather, we testify to the good news of Jesus, and we search for where God is already at work in the world. This is a reorientation. It is an important stance, a value of our faith for any Christian work. So here we are. Before we leave Pentecost, I do want to show you one more map. This is the map of Christian populations around the world today. The darker the country, region, continent, the higher the percentage of Christians in that region. Do you notice which continents are the darkest? You know, it isn't just the North or the North, not really, not anymore. It is the South, where the Christian population has exploded in the last 50 years. 
Our children, we ourselves, we now live in a time of global Christianity. The varieties of Christian worship, life, and culture are truly scattered to the ends of the earth. It's hard, it may be hard to see, at every section of this map is tinged at least a bit blue. And much of this growth has been led by native peoples. Africans growing churches and preaching to other Africans. Latin Americans leading revivals of faith, community, and Bible study among themselves. So I'd like to flip this map, if we could. Thank you. So I want to put the South on top. Not just because of all the numbers, although that's pretty, we gotta really reckon with all of that growth. But I want to put it on top as a claim of value. So last week we sat in worship when Ethan Wallace spoke plainly about restlessness and the loss of interest in religion among his generation. He testified there were so many of his friends who found no life and no interest in church anymore. These are your children, and they're my own. Ethan claims a constant dismissal of his generation's concerns by the church, that they want resurrection to happen materially in this world among the poor, the exploited, the oppressed over all creation. These younger millennials see no good in religious traditions obsessed with doctrinal purity over personal dignity. Generation Z, or whatever we'll call them when they you know, get out of college, needs a channel for its sense of righteous indignation and protest of justice, of injustice. And you know what? The global South, the majority of world Christianity, agrees with them. The Part of the vitality of these continents, which are overwhelmingly in touch with spiritual charisma and spirit activity, is their unwavering confrontation of evil with love. So for example, Gustavo Gutierrez of Peru has been writing for decades about liberation theology as a spiritual discipline because Christ came as a poor man, lived a worker's life, died as an enemy of the state, and therefore fulfilled God's preferential option for the poor in this world. This Latin American theological tradition is now what has made its way into the Vatican with Pope Francis. Pope Francis speaks Latin American Christianity. Mercy Odioye of Ghana declares that Jesus came to offer a domination-free faith. She rejects any domination-riddled Christianity, especially of patriarchy and colonialism. And she recovers the value of African culture and primal traditions for her Christian worship, theology, and community life together. Andrew Park and other Asian theologians are teaching about sin and what they call Han. There's no word in English for Han. It is outside of our theological realm, but the Asians are bringing it in. Han is the Asian concept of the psychological and spiritual wounds suffered by oppressed persons. They say Christ needs to attend to these wounds to heal the Han, to fully redeem the sinned against. So you see, the global south is not ignoring 
the plight of the poor. In fact, most of them are poor, and so they are taking care of themselves in their community. This is where the Spirit has led and is leading them. And while I won't promise growth in numbers like Africa or Asia, I do strongly wonder and believe that if we listened to our fellow Christians around the world speaking of God's redemption, this would bring our Christian lives new life. So listening to them might help our younger generations hear God's voice. They could help us, these majority world Christians, see the value in what we already do and help us change. We could become more aware of the Spirit's work out there, beyond our normal paths and habits and communities. We could become aware of the Spirit's beckoning us toward more redemption, more life with God, new things, God's resurrection materially in this world, and out into the great unknown of what is to come until Christ comes again. Now, I leave you with the discipline of questions. If you'll look at your bulletin. These are for you to carry with you, and we are going to work on these throughout the summer, perhaps, you know, in a non-domination riddled type of way. Don't worry. <laughs> but there is a time and ways that when Christians begin to reflect and to discuss together, um, we come and question and wonder about God's ways and invitations. So here are some questions that are my invitation, because I have nothing for you to actually do, you know, in, concretely at this moment, although you might have some ideas. Other than I have a book list for you. If you want some books to read and some people to go see, come and see me. But here are at least some questions that maybe you can ask yourself on a daily or a weekly or from time to time We'll ask each other from time to time throughout the summer. So maybe, we can, so maybe we can see where the Holy Spirit is moving outside of what we know, as well as inside our community and inside of us. So here they are. How do I notice the Holy Spirit's movement beyond in unfamiliar places and people? What is the Spirit calling me to see? How? How do I notice the Holy Spirit's movement among our Christian community at Central? How is the Spirit inviting growth and change? How do I notice the Spirit's movement within me? It's not a given in this question. How do I notice, although it is a given in our timeline, that the Spirit is there? Where? Is the Spirit beckoning me to go? These questions are your invitation into Pentecost, into the promises, into the fulfillment of redemption on our grand future journey toward the end of days where Christ is all in all and our young and old can dream the dreams and speak, speak of the Spirit together. Amen. So as you open your minds and open your hearts and you set the spirit free to be as the spirit will be, 
and we become more and more aware of the presence and the moving of the Spirit, I invite you to stand and sing the hymn of imitation. If you have a decision you'd like to make or share with us, I'll be down front to greet you. Stand as we sing. Fair would let Aaron go, we'll get on to the... <laughs> Just a couple of announcements. You can remain standing before we go. Uh, our, our thoughts, our prayers, uh, and our hopes, and our wishes, and our dreams are with uh, youth this week as they are at uh, youth camp. They're on their way right now. So we also send our prayers with Charles and Dara who are with them uh, and are excited about the work of the Spirit there with them. This uh, Wednesday, there will be no Wednesday night meal, but there will be a business meeting at 6.30. So we invite you to that. Packets are out in the foyer for the business meeting this week. Uh, book group is going to begin this summer with Southernmost by Silas House. Uh, we have a few books, I think, still out there that we're selling for 12 bucks. Um, but you can support your local bookstore if you'd like to do that or find it online. Uh, book groups will begin meeting the 18th of July of June and uh, June 20th. You don't even have to have read much or anything uh, to come and join and find out uh, a little more about that book when we begin. Uh, hiking trips will begin again uh, this summer months and are going to start soon. And also we can use your help with the Lexington Pride Festival uh, with our booth that we'll have set up there. There's a sign-up sheet out in the foyer. And uh, we also do uh, invite you to stay uh, for a few moments as we celebrate and are grateful for, uh, for our time with Nancy Kirk. And so we'll honor her out in the foyer in uh, just a few minutes after we are dismissed and Laura offers the venue. Oh, sorry. Are you doing this part? I, I guess so. Um, here's our painting of our service. So, I know. We will maybe put it out in the, well, is it, it's wet, isn't it? Yeah, we'll, we'll make a space for it right here after service. So you can come and, and look at it at your leisure. So thank you so much, Anna. Just another thank you so much for appreciation. appreciation. 
All right. Um, I leave you, after the rush of the wind, I leave you with a prayer from Pierre Teilhard de Jardin, who reminds us how slow God might work as well. So here now, your benediction. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. And yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete, for God is with us there, just like anywhere else. Go in peace, amen.